Does anybody else besides me perpetually lose things? I, I, I lose stuff literally all the time from my keys, uh, my wallet, my phone. Uh, and if you're like me, when it happens, it's super frustrating because, of course, you never realize that you lost track of those things until you really, really need them, right? And the frustration is that we know those things are somewhere because every, everything's somewhere. Uh, and if we just had enough time or enough effort uh, or enough help, especially kiddos to help because they're always looking for stuff for daddy, uh, to find them, we could find them because the stuff isn't going to find itself, is it? I mean, no matter how many times uh, I've called for my keys, they've never once come running. Uh, no matter how many times I've left my phone behind in the truck, uh, it's never once called out as I'm closing the door and said, hey, dummy, don't leave me in here. Not once has my wallet ever just popped up and said, you missing something? Uh, no matter how much I wish they could, because, of course, the stuff doesn't know that it's lost. And, of course, being inanimate, obviously it wouldn't, but the message of our lectionary text today is that that same type of lostness happens in otherwise living, breathing, thinking people all the time who are just as lost as they can be. They just don't know it. Uh, and then unless they become found by the someone who is actively pursuing them, that they'll simply stay that way until it's too late and ultimately be lost forever. And so we're continuing our lectionary readings through the Gospel of Luke. And we're up today to Luke chapter 15. And this is a little bit of a longer reading, but I'm going to be reading to you the first 24 verses. So I hope you're following along uh, in your own Bible. And this is Luke 15, 1 through 24. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. And now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. He said, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Father God, we thank you so much for the faithful testimony of your scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for these parables of our Lord, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And Father, we ask in in these next few moments that we have together that you would uh, dispel any distractions or preoccupations we may have in our hearts and minds so that by your Holy Spirit, uh, we can see Jesus alive in these texts. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So I read a story uh, earlier this week about a uh, a salesman who was making his round of phone calls, and, and during one of them, a little boy happened to answer, and the salesman said, uh, Hi, may I speak to your mother? She's busy outside, the little boy replied. The salesman said, oh, oh, well, is there anybody else there that I can speak to? The police, the little boy said, uh, but they're busy outside too. The police, the salesman said in surprise, said, yeah, the boy said, plus uh, my dad and my grandparents and the neighbors and a, and a bunch of firemen too, but I can't let you talk to any of them because they're all busy outside. And so the salesman says, so let me get this straight. Your parents, the neighbors, the police, the firemen are, are, are all outside your house and all too busy to come to the phone. What are they doing? Looking for me, the little boy said. <laughs> You thought that was funny, huh, fam? <laughs> now, today, today's lost boy story is a little different from that one. Uh, but the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son is, is just one of many that Jesus used in his teaching ministry. Uh, and he told it in response to some Pharisees and teachers of the law who were criticizing him for being friendly to sinners and daring even to eat with them. Uh, and in response our Lord gives a sermon with three illustrations that I read to you. The first about the lost sheep that was found. The second about a lost coin that is recovered. And then the third, uh, the one that's our uh, primary text today, the one we're primarily looking at, of the lost son. And Jesus begins here with an introduction uh, of a certain man who had two sons, the the younger of which said to his dad, "Uh, Dad, I want my share of the family business and I want it right now. Uh, I, I think it's, it's time for me to go a different direction. And you can almost hear him kind of saying, you know, I've thought it over. Uh, I've made up my mind. I just need what's coming to me, and I'll be on my way. And what you have to realize here is how outrageous and hurtful that moment had to be because what he's asking for is his share of an inheritance that would not come to him until after his father had died. And so what his son is really saying is, Dad, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you're dead already, and I'm cashing out. And unbelievably, the story tells us the father honored the son's shocking request and he divided his property between his two sons. Jesus goes on to tell us how uh, this son now flushed with cash that he didn't earn went off to a far country to live the high life. Uh, If he saw it, he bought it. If he thought about it, he did it. Uh, Thinking all along to himself, man, it can't get any better than this. 
This is why I left home in the first place. I knew this was the life for me. But in verse 13, no sooner had he gotten started living his best life now, uh, we're told that everything came to a screeching halt. Because Luke 15, 13 says he wasted all his money in wild living. A little translation actually says he scattered his substance living riotously. Uh, all the while deluding himself that he's got everything under control. Uh, until, of course, he didn't. And even then he probably thought, well, it's not all that bad. You know, I've scattered my substance around pretty liberally around these parts. I'll just go call on some of the people who I've been partying with and who benefited from my generosity. And surely they'll help me out till I get back on top. But how many of you know that if friends came when the money came, what, what happens when the money goes? So do the friends, Right. And as if all of that wasn't bad enough, we're told in verse 14 that just about the time that our wayward son had kind of uh, popped his last quarter, as it were, in the, the slot machine of debauchery that he was playing, that a famine arose in the land, that he began to be in want. But I, could almost, I can almost still imagine the boy saying to himself, you know, yeah, the, the money's gone, uh, the fun may be over, uh, it's too bad for me, but I'm, st I'm still my own man, I'm still doing life my way, right, on, on my terms. And just when he probably thought it couldn't get any worse, we get to verse 15 and we find he's fallen all the way from dilettante to day laborer. And that verse 15 tells us that he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now that's pretty hard up, isn't it? Wanted to eat pig food? And I want to pause just a second on those pods because uh, I think this is an interesting detail here. The, the Greek word in the text for those is a little more specific than our English translation of this verse. And it lets us know that what this man longed to eat were carob pods. You guys know carob, right? The chocolate substitute. Well, well I guess after uh, carob is pollinated, after the trees pollinated, I guess these really hard uh, little pods that are resistant to drought. So they're available even during a severe famine. Uh, and they could be chewed on to get like the fiber and the sugar out of them. Or they could be ground into a really kind of grainy flour substitute. A cheap substitute for the real thing. And I tell you that to say, if you think about it, the whole idea of this man wanting to eat these carob pods is really emblematic of his whole life. Because his whole life was now just one cheap substitution after another. Right? He substituted his life as a beloved son of a respected family for the scandalous life of a high roller. Uh, he substituted his share of a family fortune to end up a farmhand. He substituted an appetite for eating fine food to longing for these carob pods, these cheap substitutes. Uh, he substituted a lifelong relationship with his father for a crack at the temporary pleasures of this world. Uh, and folks, that's a good lesson for you and me too, to stop and think, what maybe we're substituting in our lives for time in prayer uh, and in the Word of God. Uh, what kind of knockoffs and stand-ins have we accepted in exchange for the better life that God had planned for us? Uh, what artificial saviors have we latched onto that try and crowd out the, the place that the actual Son of God has? And maybe most importantly, how long are we planning on keeping all that up? Or have we ever gotten to the place where you and I have tried enough substitutes that we're finally ready for something real? 
uh, for something solid, something dependable, something with some measure of security that you and I can settle into. Have you ever come to that point? Uh, the Bible tells us the man in a parable did. So here he is, this previously wealthy man, totally out of money, uh, with the worst job he could imagine, looking at hog food like it's prime rib, but he can't have any of it. And he's finally hit rock bottom. And we find in verse 17, he says, uh, or the verse says, he came to himself. Right? Have you ever come to yourself? Have you ever had that shocking dose of reality when you look at your life and your situation that this light bulb goes on as you say to yourself, what was I thinking? Or maybe what was I not thinking? I must have been crazy to get myself into this situation. And so the son says in verse 18, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say to my father, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Now, this is the spot where I want to switch gears on you just a little bit uh, and help us take a deeper look at this part of the story, possibly uh, maybe different than you've considered before, because a lot of times, in fact, most every time I've heard this passage preached on, the son coming to himself is viewed as repentance. But let me show you why that's not the case in this story. And by the way, repentance is important. Don't mishear me. Uh, don't send emails to Joe me in the office saying, Pastor's not preaching repentance anymore. Uh, repentance is one of the first principles uh, of the gospel, and it's vital. Uh, but it's a whole lot more than just acknowledging wrongdoing. And it's way more than just realizing you're dissatisfied with your lot in life and you're looking for an escape hatch. Uh, church, repentance, rather, is a change of heart. It's a total 180 that gives us a right view about God and about ourselves and about what Christ did for us. But what I want you to notice is that our text never says anywhere that the son repented. Uh, you can look it up in the, the story in the King James or the NIV or uh, the original Koine Greek or whatever else is out there, but none of them say he repented. And, and there's a good reason for that because firstly, as important as repentance is, that wasn't the lesson that Jesus was teaching at that moment. And, and we've got to take this sermon of his as it comes and not try to repackage it or or parse it out as we please. So if we take what the prodigal did here as repentance, it breaks the unity that this illustration would have had with the first two parables that Jesus told in this one single sermon. And then his point is lost and the chain is broken. Because remember, what were the first two parables about, right? Uh, the first two that Jesus told at the beginning of the chapter about this AWOL sheep and this absent coin are all about things they can't do anything to find themselves, right? And about the joy uh, of the master who'd been the one to hunt them down uh, because they had to be found by someone who was actively looking for them. And so we need to interpret this prodigal son's story in the same context. And secondly, today's parable really puts a nail in the coffin of all those who preach and teach a works-based salvation. Uh, while at the same time, giving us some insight into the twisted minds of those folks who hope to somehow uh, worm their way into the Father's good graces. Because the idea intended here in this great little speech that the Son is rehearsing, it's still all about Him, isn't it? And just like always, a plan to work Himself out of His mess on His own terms, right? Even if those terms are less than ideal, because they're still His deal. So He came to Himself, all right, but self was exactly still the problem. 
and, and so for him was the almighty I, right? Whether you say, I will arise, and I will go, and I will say, and I, 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 I. And now you might be saying, well, Pastor Joe, what about that part of his speech where he comes up with, he decides he's going to say to his father, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Well, here again, we have, as we've seen before, we have to interpret Scripture in the light of other Scriptures, especially in light of Scripture that would have been so well known to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were hearing this parable. Uh, and that's the fact that this little line of the son that he plans to say to his father is the exact same phrase that Pharaoh said to Moses in Exodus chapter 10. So Exodus chapter 10, when Pharaoh was trying to manipulate Moses to stop the plagues, if you're following along, it's verse 15. And the story tells us locusts covered the whole country and darkened the land. They devoured every plant in the fields, all the fruit on the trees that had survived the hailstorm. Not a single leaf was left on the trees and plants throughout the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron, saying, now listen to this part. He says to Moses, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Forgive my sin just this once and plead with the Lord your God to take away this death from me. Right. Now, we know Pharaoh wasn't repenting, was he? What did he want? He just wanted the plagues to stop, right? And the prodigal son's statement that he had sinned was designed to produce the same result. He's trying to, to think of how he could soften the anger that he expected from his father. He's trying to convince him to let him back on the family farm at least as a hired hand so he could work his way out of the mess he'd gotten himself in. But church, that's not how salvation works. That's not how repentance works. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 explains it like this. And so you and I were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not the result of work, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so you see the difference here between works and grace? Because right? the grace is free, and even the works are God's works. So it's all of him and none of me. And church, that matters. It matters because the Bible proclaims that Jesus Christ is our true and only Savior and he is not our accomplice in redemption. He's not just our assistant in divine acceptance. He's not merely a partner in our repentance church. He initiates it, and so he gets all the glory. Because in the words of one of our greatest congregational ancestors, the only thing that you and I contribute to our redemption is the sin that made it necessary. And see, this is where the story so beautifully links to God's grace and to the salvation message that our Lord was teaching where we're told but while the boy was still a long way off, the father saw him. He was moved with compassion. Right? It was the father that moved. Moved while the son was still a long way off. Busy rehearsing his whole spiel and trying to, to work his way back into redemption. Never realizing his problem was not the loss of some money, painful as that might have been. 
The real sin was the broken relationship with the Father. You see, repentance is not saying, I'm sorry I got caught. It's not saying, I'm sorry because things didn't work out the way I had planned. True repentance is to realize that your sin has kept you out of relationship and fellowship with the Father. And only he can show you that. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And this, this is where the scene takes kind of a switch in the parable from the prodigal's point of view to the parental point of view. And we read, this father saw him and he was moved with compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And church, is this image of the running father that was so powerful to Jesus' hearers that day. Firstly, because it was extremely undignified for an upper-class Middle Eastern man to run anywhere. Right? Running was for children and for servants with errands, and that was it. Running would have required the father to hike up his robes and expose his legs, which was also humiliating and disgraceful. Uh, dignified men in the Middle East simply don't do that kind of thing. And yet this father runs. He runs to this son who had so blatantly and so publicly disrespected him. And he hurriedly embraces him. Embraces this one who had wished him dead, ignoring all measures of decorum. Ignoring every wagging gossip in the village as he ran by. Ignoring all levels of expectation. Ignoring all the culture of honor and shame. They're just shattered by this father's love. And hearing this would have just blown the minds of Jesus' audience because it shows us the image of a God who's willing to embrace shame on our account. It speaks of our Savior who offered to endure the shame of the cross if it meant you and I could be forgiven of our sins. And he did it even before we rightly recognized our real need for him and not just the things that he had to offer us. And just as in this parable, church, even though you and I have done the unthinkable in rejecting our Father, the Father still loves us willingly and extravagantly and publicly, saving us by undeserved grace when there was no way we could have saved ourselves. And this, Jesus says, this is what God is like. The God who so actively, willingly seeks the lost, even before they realize that they are. And church, Jesus wanted the disciples and us to hear this parable so we could learn this lost son could be any of us. Lost in a world that tells us uh, to do what we want and not think about the consequences of our decision until it's too late. But despite all of that, we have someone who loves us enough to sacrifice his honor to remove our shame and to do it so we could quit hiding, quit excusing, quit blaming, quit rising to our own defense and finally repent by humbling ourselves before the one who seeks the lost, the one who forgives the lost and who welcomes us with outstretched arms, the outstretched arms and the open hands of the Father in the incarnate love of Jesus Christ, who church found us and touched us in the place of our deepest need. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you uh, that you were or a God who seeks the lost. We thank you that even when we were lost in our trespasses and sins, that you actively searched for us until you found us, drawed us into your kingdom, Father, and made us one of your own. And so send us out uh, with that knowledge and assurance this week. Uh, and for those of, uh, that may be listening or that are here that don't know you, Lord, surprise them by the power of your presence. Uh, show them, Father, that they are not lost after all and that you would open their ears and eyes to see your presence and to seek your face. And we thank you, Father, for all that you're about to do in and through us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.